When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Causeway Street Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Pavone. Joel Pavone. Mr. Sean Dutra. Hey, this is Leon Poe, man. You're listening to Causeway Street Podcast. What's up, y'all? This is Kenny Anderson. Hi, this is Tyler Zeller from the Boston Celtics. And y'all listen to the Causeway Street Podcast. All you new listeners out there, I'm your host, Joseph Pavone. I'm joined as usual by my two co-hosts. I'm Sean Dutra. What's up? Sound yeah, like talk about walks yourself. on the B. There you go. Joel Pavone. What up? I'm a Pisces. <laughs> the most romantic. He leads off with that. The most romantic sign in all the Zodiac. Oh. You couldn't tell by my voice already. Oh. Sexy. I'm the producer of this ensemble that we call Causeway Street. In case you missed it. Hey, Bill Walton here, Celtics 1986. You're listening to the Causeway Street Podcast. Yeah, come here for nothing but the truth. This is where dreams come true. Thank you, Boston, for my life. Where are we going? You guys are such homers. It's your boy, Terry Rozier. You're listening to the Causeway Street Podcast. Now listen to my boys, Joe Sway, Joel, and Sean. Walk us through that uh, final game-winning shot by Bradley. Supposed to be, uh, you know, into the body. Um, and, you know, we got us a little separation there, and he got open. Um, you know, Al Horford got a good screen on T-top. Uh, he was wide open. Uh, you know, bounced on the rim for a little bit. You know, got a game winner. You know, we got a slice of some humble pie. So, um, you know, got a lot to learn going forward. Um, but they hit us in the mouth, and now it's our job to hit back. I mean, a lot of things went wrong. You know, they like, moved the ball like Double T said, 28 assists, and um, you know they kept us, you know, at bay. You know, we couldn't get stops, so we couldn't get out in transition a lot. And uh, those guys made—I mean, they made plays. Um, they got some second chance points. You know, they, we only had two fast break points, so you know they, they neutralized what we wanted to do. One of the good things about this team, we're able to believe whatever, believe in whatever Brad draws up. Um, you know, if if it's good play, bad play, whatever it is, we all believe in it and. I think that always helps because you're able to just read and react after that. Really just coming in is, you know, I just kept telling myself, you know, we, you have nothing to lose, just go out there and play. You know, um, you know you've been working hard uh, throughout this whole year on your game. Just let, it, let, just let it flow and let it show. Yeah, I mean, that's been the story of our season, man. Nobody really believed in us, and, you know, we just kept fighting, and, you know, losing those two at home hurt, and, you know, we wanted to come here and, and show the, that we can play, and, uh, you know, it felt good to get that win tonight, and, uh, yeah. 
after getting blown out of the TD Garden on Friday night in Game 2 by 44 points. The Celtics, without Isaiah Thomas, come back from 21 points down at Quicken Loans Arena to extend their season after a game-winning three by Avery Bradley to shock the basketball world with a 111-108 win in Game 3. And the Celtics stay alive. And they, they are coming back to Boston. Depending, it doesn't matter what happens in Game 4, but they extend their season at least for the next few days, at least to the end of the week, after a brilliant performance in the second half, after Marcus Smart going off, starting in the place of Isaiah Thomas, scored 27 points, was 7-10 from behind the arc, 8-14 overall, had five rebounds and led the team in assists with seven dimes, career high, playoff or regular season for Marcus Smart with 27 points once again. Avery Bradley with the game winner. Finished his night with 20 points, four assists. And Al Horford comes alive also in this one as he finished with 16 points and six assists. And the basketball world is asking, where was LeBron James? 11 points on 4-13 from the field. Didn't score a single point in the fourth quarter. Scored only two points in the last... 18 minutes of the game and also finished with six rebounds and six assists and six turnovers. Hmm. That's a, it's a bad luck of sixes rolls right there, but Kyrie Irving finished with 29 points, seven assists and Kevin Love, who was uh, deadly from the outside in the first half, especially the first quarter finished with 28 points, 10 rebounds and seven of 13 from behind the arc. Welcome to a new episode of the Causeway Street Podcast. My name is Joel Pavone. I'll be joined later on by a special guest via phone to break down this impressive Game 3 victory by the Celtics when everybody had them dead in the water. Like I said, you know, top of the show, awful, awful showing in Game 2 where, you know, you lose your best player. Isaiah Thomas wanted to come back but injured his hip. And it looks like he's done for the playoffs. You know, despite everything that that man has been through in the last month and a half, like you, you can't you can't fault him. He he he's he's given everything he's got to this team. So I mean, the Celtics now have to have to fight for him. Is the way I see it. They have to fight. They have to make this competitive, and they did that in Game Three. I can't. What what else? What else can you say about Marcus Smart? Marcus Smart becomes only the third Celtics player in franchise history to finish with at least 25 points, five rebounds, and at least five assists in a, in a playoff game. And he joins the likes of Paul Pierce, who did it twice, once in 2002, and once again in 2011, and Larry Legend, baby, Larry Bird in 1986. With that stat line of at least 25 points, at least five rebounds, and at least five assists. And again, Marcus Smart, a career night, regular season or postseason, 27 points. Seven of 10 from behind the arc. The man was fearless. He was fearless. He didn't care who was guarding him. And, and how can we not bring up the last play of the game drawn up by none other than Brad Stevens' 
who shows once again his genius out of a timeout. With a little less than 11 seconds left to come up with not just a, a, a field goal, but they came up with a three-point field goal, which wasn't really necessarily needed. But because you wanted to kill the clock as much as possible to not give Cleveland the opportunity to tie the game up and send it into overtime. And you win for the win. That was drawn up down to a T, rotating. And, and you know what? I didn't even know who that ball was even going to go to. No idea. And let's not forget my man Jonas came in for the first time in a, in a very long time. Was a perfect four for four from the field. Got in Kevin Love's face a few times, especially when he saw that Kevin was, was flopping. And he's like, cut that out. No, I'm not going to have none of that. Play like a man. Play straight up. You know what you're doing. Cut the flopping. Cut that shit out. That's Jonas Jarepko for you. Don't mess with the Swedish, the Swedish assassin. That's what I'm going to call him now, the Swedish assassin. If Amir Johnson's not going to go for game five or he won't start for game, I'm sorry, he won't start in game four, you know, Brad, Brad has Jonas waiting. He's waiting to, to, get, to pick up those minutes because Amir Johnson, uh, he did injure his shoulder after uh, Kevin Love tried to, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, Injure Amir Johnson on the similar play that uh, Kelly Olenek did to him two years ago in the first round of the 2015 playoffs. We all remember that, right? That's when uh, that's when Kelly Olenek was labeled a dirty player. And he's been stuck with that label ever since. But it's okay when Kevin Love does it, right? That was okay because it's not like Amir Johnson, according to uh, – the basketball analyst, very important in this in this series for the Celtics. But nonetheless, I digress. So the Celtics now have an opportunity to shut up a lot of naysayers, shut up a lot of critics, because if they thought they couldn't win with Isaiah in the lineup, now with Isaiah out of the lineup, it's a whole new ballgame, right? Because who, who is Cleveland going to focus in now on in game four? Is it Marcus Smart? Is it A.V. Bradley? Is it Jonas Jarepko? Is it Al Horford? Like, that ball is not going to just stay stagnant. And, and, and Cleveland just not going to just focus in on one player. You, you can't. You can't just focus in on one player because you don't know who that go-to guy is going to be come game four. Hell, Marcus could come up with a dud in game four, and he'll still be important he'll still make an impact at least i think in my opinion in in terms of fighting and making the series competitive once again you know after game after game two i got all this this hate and all this you know all these questions from from so-called basketball fans who haven't said anything to me during the playoffs or or, or minimal things or actually you know what after every after every Celtics loss, and the first round was after they were down 0-2. Oh, this team's supposed to be a one seed? This team is supposed to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals? You guys are not even going to make it out of the first round. Sweep. And then, in game, and then in the second round, 
against the Wizards when they lost both games in Washington. And the series was tied 2-2. It wasn't like they were even down in the series. In fact, the Celtics were either tied or they led in the series. And yet, no, the Celtics are no good. Get rid of Isaiah. He's not a, he's not a superstar. He's not a max contract player. And then Isaiah goes off for 53 on his, on his late sister's birthday. And then he gets injured in game six, which no one knows about. He re-injures his hip that he had injured earlier in the season. And the Celtics still have a chance to win that game or uh, on the error on the refs, not realizing that there should have been at least one more second on that game clock. And, then, and after losing in game six in Washington, coming back home where they haven't lost against Washington, where Washington was a completely different team at the TD Garden, but yet I get messages like, oh, nope, Celtics is done. This is, this is, this is as far as they're going to go. John Wall is a beast. Bradley Beal is going to take over. Or Isaiah Thomas is not what everybody wants him to be. And then what does Isaiah Thomas do in game seven? Double-double, 29 points, 12 assists on the way to, this, to demolishing the Washington Wizards. And while John Wall was celebrating on the scorer's table in game six, he went silent when his team needed him the most. So this time around, playing, it, playing injured in the first two games, Isaiah Thomas, right, giving all the credit only to the Cavaliers' defense. That, oh, Caval- he can't get through the Cavaliers' defense. He's not, he's not able to get to the hoop. You know, he's 5'9". Trade him. You guys got the number one pick now. Move on without him. And he gets injured. The Celtics shut him down. They shut him down for the rest of the playoffs. And now that the Celtics are playing more freely, and they're playing like they have nothing to lose, and now the general consensus is, you see, the Celtics can play without Isaiah Thomas. The Celtics can move Isaiah Thomas. But it's only one game, right? At the end of the day, it's only one game. But it's, it's great to see the Celtics with some life. It's great to see the Celtics put up a fight, something that you didn't see in the first two games. That's what pissed me off. Like, forget the losses. You know, and, 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 and we know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that optimistic to, 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 to think that the Cavaliers are, are not the better team in the series. Obviously, the Cavaliers are the better team in the series. But my whole thing, and a lot of other Celtics fans and, another, and a lot of other just basketball fans in general, wanted to see at least a fight. You know, the Celtics put up a fighting chance, which is what you saw in the second half of game three. That's what was missing in the first two games. The effort, the fight, the grit, showing that, showing that you got balls to go up against the best in the world in LeBron James. And look at the end result. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. LeBron did not respect the Celtics in game three. He just thought that he was going to be passive. He just thought that the rest of his team was going to just take care, take care of business and he just didn't have to, you know, for lack of a better term, kill himself to try to take a 3-0 commanding lead in this series. And now you've let the Celtics back in. Again, I'm not saying the Celtics are going to win this series, but we've seen it time and time again. When the Celtics' backs are against the ropes, 
they'll hit you in the mouth. And just like Kyrie said in the intro, they got a slice of that humble pie. And then LeBron afterwards had nothing but good things to say about the Celtics, that they, they made plays and, and, and the Cavs didn't at the end of the day. And then Avery Bradley saying that he, you know, the Celtics trust in Brad Stevens and Marcus Smart finally believed in himself. While his teammates and his coaches always believed in him, he said, fuck it, I'm going to play like I got nothing to lose. And then Jonas, you know, caps off the evening by saying, we respected the Cavs too much in the first two games. That shit ends now. The Celtics held the Cleveland Cavaliers in the last 18 minutes and 39 seconds of game three to 31 points, 30% shooting from the field. They shot two of 13 from behind the arc, and LeBron James only scored one point in that span at the Celtics snap the Cavaliers' 10-game winning streak in this postseason, but 13 games overall dating back to last year's finals. Celtics would score 55 points in that span with 56% shooting and going 11 of 20 from behind the arc. Even though I'm riding solo today, but it doesn't matter because we still do our thing here on the Causeway Street Podcast. We'll talk about how the Celtics should play going forward in the series. We'll also talk about Isaiah Thomas's injury and touch upon a little bit of some options that the Celtics could potentially deal with come the offseason. And, of course, we'll end this episode the way we do every episode of the Causeway Street Podcast with, in case you missed it. But joining me right now is Zach Pelequin, writer for the Causeway Street blog, here to break down Game 3 with me, since I'm writing Dolo for for this episode at least. How are we doing, Zach? Doing well, doing well after uh, finally the Celtics getting a little dignity back in Game Three. So uh, honestly, it's a—I know it sounds crazy, but it's a series again. So I—I uh, I couldn't be happier. Definitely, definitely, right? Must it was a must win in Game Three? You know, one could argue that it should have been a must win in either one of the first two games as well. But I mean, no Isaiah Thomas, so the Celtics really have nothing to lose, right? Well, exactly. I think it was a game where, um, in, in, I'll tell you what, this series, Avery Bradley has shown more to me in terms of his character and his leadership with this team than I ever thought I was going to see. Because he's such a quiet guy by nature. But um, after hearing him, uh, when game two came to a close and they were interviewing everyone in the locker room, and just hearing the way that he was talking, I kind of knew that you were going to see a little bit different of a Celtics team coming out in game three. And with Isaiah being hurt, backs totally against the wall. And I think at, at that point, the expectation for Boston had, had kind of fallen off the face of the earth. So I had a, a little bit of a feeling we were going to see a better effort. Did I think they were going to win? Absolutely not. I had no, no not my wildest imagination after watching that game too. I think they were going to be able to do it in game three and come back and, even in the first half, I mean, this, it still looked like they were in that slump and they were just scared of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then the second half of Game 3, I mean, we all know the story. We all, we all watched it happen. It was absolutely perfect. It looked like the Celtics team that we've known pretty much all season long. I mean, after coming off that god-awful loss on Friday night in Game <laughs> 2, it, it, couldn't, it couldn't get any worse than that. We, we thought it couldn't get any worse after Game 1. And apparently we were wrong. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> or, or most, or most that were you know that Celtics fans and most of the, and most basketball analysts were like, no, it can't get any worse. 
for the Celtics after after game one. But it, it game two happened. Uh, I was talking about it earlier. Like it as a basketball fan, that was just embarrassing to watch because I I just feel oh, like yeah. I just feel like realistically we know that you know the the Celtics are not going to win this series, right? That's that's the premise around the nation, around the world for those that are you know hardcore basketball fans. But right. you did expect for the Celtics to put up a fight, and it took a forty-four point loss to say you know what our leaders down. No one has us in this series. Most people have us getting swept. So let's let's play like we got nothing to lose now. And the end result, 21-point comeback. We saw in the last series, how, uh, especially in Game 7, where Kelly, Kelly Olenek came out of nowhere and did what he did. How about Marcus Smart? Mm-hmm. How about Marcus Smart coming out of nowhere? And talk about somebody that was due for a game like this. Yeah, he's... He seriously was. And it's, again, it goes back to that frustration factor that these are guys that the Celtics picked over the last couple of years who we had such high hopes for when they drafted them. And, you know, pretty high first-round picks. I mean, Olenek was the back end of the uh, trap lottery in in Brad's first year. And then they got uh, Marcus all the way at number six. And, you know, these are guys that we expected to be really, if not cornerstone players, you know, approaching that level. And I hate to say it, but they've been nowhere near that. Uh, you know, Marcus has been a nice role player here and there, but he's been incredibly inconsistent throughout his career. And, you know, finally, finally, in a Game 7 against the Washington Wizards, we see Kelly Olenek finally deliver on some of the promise that we have all thought that he could possibly do. It's just how consistently could he do it. And finally, we get to see him have that game, that real uh, high point and high watermark of his Celtics career. And then, Three games later, we get to see uh, Marcus Smart when the gun is to this team's head, and, and we needed uh, a performance. He goes out there and has you know maybe his best game as a Celtic in his career at Green so far, which was absolutely fantastic. And this is what you expect from from Marcus Smart. We don't really, you know, I don't think anyone truthfully can say, yeah, we expect him to hit seven threes a night. You know, he's, he's never going to be that type of shooter. Of course, but right, yeah. the energy he brings, the defense he, he brings, I mean. It's just, he sets the tone, and that's what it is. He can set the tone on the defensive end, and it sparks the whole entire team going forward offensively. He makes those plays where you know he'll pass off the ball, he'll be away from the offense for the entire shot clock, and he comes flying in from out of the dunk. You're like, where the hell did this guy just come from? Yeah. And he had those moments where you're like, he's athletic enough, he's talented enough. I mean, the player that we saw at Oklahoma State was potentially a number one overall pick. What happened to that player? And it feels like he just has not grown over the last few years. And now you get to this point where this is, you know, all the models are in here. He's going into a contract year next year. And now he has a chance for the rest of this series to really be the guy. And, you know, his first opportunity was unbelievable. Fantastic work from him. Yeah. I mean, I think we saw a glimpse of, of the Marcus Smart of, uh, of game three early in the season when, when Isaiah was out for a little bit, I think I believe Brad Stevens yeah. he started him a couple games, and then when Avery Bradley went down, he started a few games as well. And I feel like when his back is up against the wall, that's when Marcus Smart is like, "All right, I gotta do something because like we we need something, we need a spark." And he 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 finally came through. And it's not like he was playing awful in this series because in the in the first game, I felt like he was the only one putting up like an effort to. Box out um, Thompson and 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 make and make you know defensive plays even though there were some stupid fouls called on him that you know I, I, you can't really fault him for that it's just the way the just the way the game was going but at the same time though how good 
Well, uh, not better question. How different do the Celtics look in terms of when Isaiah's out running plays and running like just running offensive sets? They put up nearly thirty assists as a team. So, what is it? What, what in, in your in your opinion? What do you think it is? It's just them just playing freely, just going out there and just playing as a team and not worrying about anything else. Because at the same time, the Cavs had no game plan for this, especially when they were up twenty one. They're like, all right, we got this. And then all of a sudden, mm. you got you got players like Jonas Jarepko stepping up. <laughs> <laughs> who hasn't don't, seen... you, don't, don't you even dare start in on Jonas Jarepko, right? Baby? I, <laughs> no, 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 that's no. no I love I love me some Jonas. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I've been asked, I've been asking <laughs> to see some Jonas since the Washington series, and I don't know how why we didn't we didn't see him sooner. But you know he stays ready, comes in, shoots four for four from the field, two clutch three pointers. Like uh, like how come we can't see this? Oh, better question. How come we have to wait until your your, your season's on the line for a reaction mm-hmm. from 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 the Celtics or from Brad Stevens even? Because sometimes Brad Stevens looks like he's like he's he's caught like a, a deer in the headlights when it comes to certain certain games or certain certain moments, especially in this series. Yeah, I, I think it's a matter of that classic um, situation where when you have a player who is a go-to scorer and a and such a good scorer the way that I, uh, Isaiah Thomas has been for the last two years for that matter, he's been such a go-to player that they've been able to, to give the ball to him and just clear everyone out, set one screen for him, and he's automatic offense. And I think what happens with Boston is when he gets on a roll or when this team is playing well, sometimes they get a little lazy. Sometimes they just say, you know what, give Isaiah the ball, he'll go find a way to put it in the basket, which is great. Uh, except for the fact when he's either A, injured and out of the lineup, mm. or B, when he can't get to the basket the way that he wants to or when he's not shooting the way that he wants to. That's the issue that you have with the Celtics is that they don't have a lot of shot creators in terms of guys that are just going to take someone off the dribble in, in the ISO and be able to find baskets. When they're at their best, the ball is moving all over the court. They're highly aggressive on the defensive end, which tends to lead to their offense, I think, more often than not. And they're hitting their open shots. And that's that's when you see the team play really well. Um, and that's what we saw in the second half of, of Game 3, is that this team defensively caused Cleveland to just go into a tizzy. They couldn't hit shots from the outside. They didn't They didn't even think to go to the inside. And, I mean, LeBron James and the conversation that we could have about him, I think, could last all, you know, all, all evening. But... I mean, you're, you're, you're defensively setting yourself up to be successful on the offensive end. That intensity, it just carries over. And I think what happens is once you see a guy like Avery Bradley or a guy like Jay Crowder uh, or even Kelly Olynyk or, or any of the big guys from the outside, they knock down a shot or two, and then you saw Cleveland start to go out at the shooters, and they were rushing after them. The thing that I really loved out of Game 2, or I'm sorry, Game 3, is we finally saw the Celtics team, because they had no other options at times, go inside to Al Horford and have the ball hit his hands in the paint, which we don't see happen nearly enough for my liking. But we saw it happen, I'd say, at least a dozen times in the second half of that game where they just went straight into the post to Al Horford, and he was either making the correct pass on the opposite, uh, opposite side of the court to get an open shot for someone on the other side, or he was able to get to the basket quite a few times as well. I, I thought it was a really good game for the Celtics offense to go find different ways and creative ways to put the ball in the basket. It wasn't just, you know, running that, that, that weave at the top of the, uh, at the top of the, uh, top of the three point line and just calling it a day. You finally saw them try a couple of different things that were typically things that you'd see the Celtics offense run off of. So I thought it was, it was a really good night for, for Brad Stevens. 
And it was a really good night for the Celtics shooters to be knocking down shots, especially in the second half. First half, I mean, you, you could debate that it wasn't, it wasn't all too good. But, I mean, it, it looked like the Celtics team that we've grown accustomed to. And, and that was the comforting thing that we saw this, uh, of that whole entire game three, is that it looked like the Celtics team that has some confidence, that has some fight terms, has some, uh, some aggression to them. And that's the team that, you know, all, all the Celtics fans love. And it was really nice to finally see that a little bit more than, than the first two games when I couldn't even recognize this team. It was terrible. Yeah, I mean, the the, the national consensus, the national media, I feel like since since game three, uh, since the end of game three, is they're talking about, oh, LeBron had a bad game. LeBron had a bad game. LeBron was passive. Yeah. LeBron didn't do anything. Didn't score in the last 16, 17 minutes of of the game, it went scoreless in the fourth quarter for the first time since in the postseason, right? Since uh, I think it was the 2011 NBA Finals and game, I think it was game four of that of that series. And that's all they're talking about. They're not talking about the fact that the Celtics defense was on point for the first time in this series. Yeah, finally. That's a. I'll tell you what, and I know we've had this conversation a few times, and I know on Twitter it's a huge conversation piece about LeBron James, the greatest of all time conversation, and uh, Nick Wright. Oh my God, <laughs> just the insufferable love that he has for LeBron James. Him and him and the uh, reason him and people, is, yeah, yeah, him too. Oh <laughs> yeah. my God, it's ridiculous. But what? These are the types of games that the smart basketball fan who says LeBron's not quite there yet. These are the games that we point to, and I group myself in that probably. probably oh, I'm, in, I'm in there too. I'm in um, there too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Causeway Street firmly in that list. But yes. these are the games that we turn and point to and say he's not the greatest of all time just because he has these types of games. And and I, all today it was oh Michael oh, like Michael never had a bad game or you know whomever never had a bad game. It's not that he had a bad game. It's because. LeBron James completely disengaged from this game. And at some point, I don't know when exactly the minute that passed that it happened, but he said in his, in his head, you can see on his face, he just said, well, all right, we don't have it tonight, and just packed it in. If he was LeBron James, the LeBron James, the great LeBron James that we know, he could have turned around the last two minutes of this game and probably won it for them. You didn't take but he over. didn't do it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It makes you wonder why. What was it about this game that he thought that he could just step off of it and put in, I would say, 50% effort, if that. Like, what did he think was going to happen you know, when the game started to turn the other way? Why didn't he step in and be that great player? Because it feels like he could have at some point. Yeah, I mean, he only took four shots. Ridiculous. You know, he looked completely disengaged, like you said. I don't know. He just And an opportunity to take over and say, all right, you know what? This has gone far enough. Like, you know, we had a 21-point lead. I wasn't killing myself. Everyone else was doing, you know, the, what they're supposed to do. And now it's, I guess it's my turn to, you know, take over and win this game and take a commanding 3-0 lead at home. But he, that's not what he did. And, and, and it's not the first time. I don't know why everyone's so, like, surprised. It's not the first time we've seen LeBron be like this. So I guess for a lack of a, of a better term, he's not a killer. He's not. He, you know, Charles Barkley said it on Sunday night. He said he's still chasing Kobe, in his opinion, and I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that statement. He's still chasing Kobe because Kobe was a killer. Michael Jordan is a killer. Like he don't, he doesn't let you know yeah. games like this go to waste. You know what I'm saying? Not that you know, and I and I get the LeBron stands that are, are gonna say, oh, it's just one game. It's just one game. He's he's entitled to have a bad game. He had won 13 straight postseason games dating back to the finals. <laughs> It's just one game, yeah. really. 
I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a tough, tough, that's a tough pill to swallow. Did you see those, those Cavs fans at the end of that game? They were, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know. Then like, I felt like, like throughout the, throughout the comeback, like they, they didn't even help to like, try to like get behind their team. Me, you and Sean, we talked about this before the series began that the big three of of the Cavs cannot score mm-hmm. twenty plus points because then exactly. it's, it's, a, it's a wrap. So Kyrie did his job, Kevin Love did his job, but LeBron was like, mm, "I think I'm, I'm 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 gonna take this this night off." I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to go that. I don't like to go down that road. But I just, I just you know I, I I give credit obviously to the to the Celtics and their and their and their defense and and the fact that. They're, the Cavs' game plan is, you know, stop Isaiah. So you have no yeah. Isaiah. You don't know who the ball's going to. Like that last play, that last play that, that Brad Stevens drew up, ridiculous. Ridiculous. And, and even I didn't know where that ball was going because you had you had <laughs> Horford that was hot. You had Marcus Smart that was hot. And then and to, and to, and to let the clock run down from 10, from over almost 11 seconds left, to make that shot and leave point one left on the clock, that you couldn't have drawn it more perfect. Yeah, that was fantastic. Like I said, that was we finally got to see Brad Stevens in his prime really go out and, and make some decisions in this game. And I think that is kind of a byproduct. And I, and I don't want to say anything negative about Isaiah Thomas. He's had an MVP caliber season. He has done everything he could have possibly well, of done. Of course, of course, yeah, yeah. Point. yeah. No, I and, and so agree. I'm not trying to say anything negative about him, but when he is torn away from this team it does change the dynamic of what you see out there. And I do, I do think with Isaiah Thomas being off of the floor, it allows Brad Stevens to be a little bit more creative and it allows him to go at this a little bit differently than he normally would uh, because he doesn't have to run the offense through Isaiah. Now it becomes, okay, let's go through the high hand. Let's try a couple of these offensive sets that we would have normally have used if Isaiah was out there. Uh, there's a lot less isolation. There's a lot more ball movement. There's a lot more uh, multiple screens within within uh, singular plays that you're seeing two or three guys moving at one time because he knows that he can't just say, oh, Marcus, get to the rim. Because it's not going to happen. Like He can do it maybe once and again. It's not going to happen consistently, though. And that's where you see Brad Stevens' genius. You actually do uh, get to appreciate the fact that he knows how to get players open. He knows how to have offensive sets be, uh, be run and get certain players into uh, situations where they're going to get the shot that they want or at least get them an opportunity to be able to get a good quality shot off. That's what we saw in the second half and even for a good portion of the first half of, uh, of game three, which, you know, I mean, Brad Stevens is a great coach. You know, I, I have my qualms with him because of the DeMarcus Cousins thing because I think he had a lot to do with why he's not salted right now. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Uh-oh. he is a very good basketball coach. And he is, in my opinion, for all the coaches in the NBA right now, and maybe of the last decade, I think he gets more out of less than any other coach in the game. He knows how to take these guys and say, you know what, I know what your best skills are, and I'm going to absolutely utilize the hell out of those to make sure that you're as best as you possibly can. So, yeah, I, I think he did a great job. I think that you expect more of that. I'll be anxious to see what the, uh, what the changes that Cleveland makes in order to be able to kind of combat that. It's tough, though. They don't know where it's going to be coming from going forward. And, and I, unless Boston goes stone cold, which is entirely possible from the outside, they're going to have to respect a lot of these players in the lineup in terms of just guys who are going to take these three-point shots. So they're going to have to respect the three for Boston. And unless they go ice cold, Boston's going to have options. They're going to be able to score points. and They're going to be able to stay in these games, I think, from here forward. The big thing for them is going to be defensively, though. We finally 
saw, and, and again, I hate throwing any dirt on, on the, the Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, throwing any dirt in his face, but defensively, they play a much better brand of basketball when Isaiah Thomas is off the floor. They're bigger, they're more physical, and you see two, three, four guys on that perimeter who are jumping the passing lane, who are creating havoc, and are making it very difficult for Kyrie Irving, for LeBron James, for even for Kevin uh, Actually, Kevin Love didn't really have much of a hard time the other night. No, not, not that <laughs> But so you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> yeah, Anyone who had the ball in their hands was uncomfortable. And that's where Cleveland starts to struggle. When they're not comfortable in a game, that's when they give up games. When, they, they're, when they're getting uh, physically uh, outmanned, when they're getting hacked up, they don't like that. They don't like the physical game. Can they play it? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen them do it before, but they don't want that game. I played basketball you know, for most of my life. I hated teams that I knew were going to be physical from start to end. Those are teams they just wear on you mentally, and that's what Boston thrives in. When you see Marcus Smart all over Kyrie Irving, all over LeBron James, and the same thing for Avery Bradley, and the same thing for Crowder, and, and even the big guys get into the mix too, that's when you see them really thrive. And we finally saw that in Game 3 where I said, you know what, screw it. We had nothing to lose. Let's start hacking these guys. I'm Jonas Jurebko. I mean, and, and oh, my was, God, that was amazing. I love Jonas going into it, but that Kevin Love thing, that I was mean, great. Love that. <laughs> that was great. He's like, <laughs> stop fucking flopping. You know what you're doing. Cut that shit out before I kick the shit out of you. I love it. Jonas. And then Kevin Love's face is like, what's, what's up with this guy? Oh, oh, don't mess with Jonas. Famous. He had nothing to I know, that's what I'm like, saying. But his face, yeah, is, you're right. his face was priceless. He was like, what? He's like, he's like, what? You know, this is what LeBron has been teaching me. Like, come on, I'm trying to do my thing here. Fuck you. He's like, Jonas, that was great. That was just the, just the fact that the, the rebounding discrepancy was, you know, in single digits between the, the Celtics and, and, and the Cavs in game three. Which is yeah. always, which is always great. That's something good to you got to, to take away from a game like this. Yeah, the Celtics ended up shooting better than forty-seven percent from the field, which was crazy to think that the Cavs in the first half were shooting like sixty-six percent, and they ended yeah, up shooting they're, they're better. Unconscious. Yeah, and it was mostly it was mostly because of Kevin Love. And let's not let's not kid, our, kid ourselves. Kevin Love, this this series for him, it's personal. It's personal after what happened two years ago with him. And, it looks like Hennig. it. It feels oh, like it. It's, it's personal, big time. I can't stress enough that when it, when everyone you know pitches in, um, it's like it's a different it's a different team, and it's a team that 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 like you said that Celtics fans have have grown to love because when you have multiple guys in double figures, when you have everybody passing the ball, you know, even in the, even in those games early in the playoffs where where Thomas. You know, Bailey scored twenty points, or or was, or was scoring under twenty points, and they still won the game. That's how they should play now. The difference is obviously he's not he's not in the lineup, and it looks like he's out for the playoffs. So let me—I I, got to ask you this question because this is like I'm gonna play devil, devil's advocate, okay? Because you, you 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 you've been hearing it, you've been hearing it ever since the conclusion of Game Three. Oh, are the Celtics better without Isaiah Thomas? Should the Celtics consider trading Isaiah Thomas? And I got I got to hear your take on this. Are they better? No. Um, Isaiah Thomas is is by far the most talented offensive player that they have. Uh, really, no question about it in my mind. Um, are they better defensively? Yes, they absolutely are. And, you know, they're just bigger. They're more physical. Uh, they have the right elements. They have guys who are just, you know, to be totally honest, just better defenders than what you get from Isaiah Thomas. But on the whole, no, they are not a better team. And anyone who tells you that, you haven't watched enough Celtics this year. Yeah, you know, there's just no way. Um, 
do you think about trading him? I mean, it seems like that's a bit of a quantum leap, you know, to go from right. you know, scoring 50 like a week ago for you to, you know, to get you, help you get through that Wizards series to saying, eh, we don't really need him. With that in mind, <laughs> does the, does the, I mean, yeah, it's kind of quick. You know, it feels like we might have jumped a few, a few steps there on, on the way. But in terms of trading him, though, if you look at it, and I, I mean, I don't even want to open this conversation because there's so much. Uh, to, to really hash out this offseason. Yeah, this yeah, is a really important offseason for, for Danny Ainge. Um, he's got three huge components of this team that are going to be uh, free agents coming in next season. He's got possibly as many as six players on the current roster who are going to be free agents at the end of this season. Uh, he has to contend with his first overall pick and what he wants to do there. I mean, there's just so much going on um, that, you know what? It's hard to say what the right decision is. Now, if I told you that, um, you know, you say Anthony Davis became available and you had to trade Isaiah Pump to get him, the answer is yes. You, yeah, you, you would do that. That's a no or, I mean, you know, a player of a league caliber. Yeah. So, yeah. Can you trade him? Absolutely. Are you actively trying to shop him? I don't think so. I think this guy, he's, he's shown what type of player and, and what type of guy he really is. He's just made of the toughest stuff around. And, and I have, you know, the utmost respect for him. And I, and I did coming into this playoffs, but the things that he's done since the beginning of this playoffs have really solidified in my mind what type of leader he is for this team and what type of guy he is. And, you know, I, I was the first one to say I don't want to see him getting a, a, a max contract. If somebody came for a, a reasonable trade, get rid of him. And I've changed my stance on that. He, to me, has, has now personified what you want from a Celtics player. With that in mind, the contract situation is going to be tough. There's no guarantee out there that they're going to be able to get something that makes sense for both sides done. That's going to dictate a lot of what we see come this summer. But in the story, my bottom line, I'm not looking to trade him. But if something came along, I'd be willing to listen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can I can live with that. I mean, only because of the way he was playing in the first two games. But then again, you know, we didn't know he was injured. We had no idea that he had... Yeah, you know, true. He, he had reaggravated his hip injury in Game Six of the Wizard series, and then he came out and 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 did his thing in Game Seven in that series. Yeah. So and you know the quick turnaround, the 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 day off, and then right back, right you know right back at it, playing at the Garden, Eastern Conference Finals. You know that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure. And in, in in terms of looking at you as you're the guy, like you're 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 gonna you're gonna take this team to the to the promised land, or or at least fight for it. You know what I mean? And we weren't seeing like the explosiveness right. anymore. And we weren't we weren't necessarily seeing like the the hard nosed gritty like Isaiah Thomas that's like you know he was picking up technical you know fouls like like it was nothing and <laughs> and, and 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 I mean not just him but other 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 players as well and, and freaking even Brad Stevens but but my point is um, something was off with him and not that I'm happy that I'm like oh well at least he's injured that was the the whole reason because obviously the Celtics would love to have him out on the floor but at the same time. If he's not if he's not a hundred percent or or close to it, hell, if he's not even like sixty percent, that's damaging your team. And so yeah. to to shut him down and to have the Celtics just play you know balls to the wall is I guess I guess a, a guy right now a blessing in disguise. But do you think you know if the Celtics extend this series? I mean, it's definitely going to be a game five, so they are coming back to Boston, which is which is great news. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see him coming back at, at any point in this series if if it, if it goes you know deep? I, I don't, the thing is, I don't know a ton about the injury itself. From what I've heard, it's a torn or partially torn labrum in the hip. 
um, which is one might, of those injuries that if he was in the if he was in the NFL, he'd probably play through it if one way or another. They give him a few weeks and he would come back. But that's the thing. They give him a few weeks. Like he's not going to be, you know, two, three, four, five days later. Yeah, just throw some ice on it and you'll be good to go. So my assumption is that he's probably done for the postseason, regardless of what happens. Um, and, I, and I don't hold that against him. I mean, this is this isn't an injury that you could just be like, yeah, whatever. I can just, yeah. <laughs> just shake it off and like go go back out and go do my thing. Especially for someone who his game is predicated off his agility. So when he makes a cut or when he makes a quick move, I'm sure that hip is probably a shooting pain right through his leg. So I can't imagine it's comfortable or it allows you to do it allows him to do what he needs to do on the court. So. Honestly, I would say even if there's a chance that they can get him back, they have to have a legitimate shot at winning this series. It can't just be, okay, you know, they go out and they lose game four, they come back to Boston in game five. Oh, yeah, let's pull him out there. I mean, he needs to think about yeah. himself as well because yeah, we're talking, like we said, he's going into the last year of a contract and he has a legit shot at being able to make, you know, if not max money, you know, 20 plus, 25 plus million dollars a year. And, you know, be, punting on that opportunity, I think, would be very risky. And even though he's a competitor, I'm sure he wants to be out there. Uh, it just seems to make more sense for him to kind of close up shop, uh, get better for next season, and uh, give it another run for him. Voted All-NBA second team honors. What do you think? Well-deserved? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we've been talking about him all year long as a top five MVP guy. And if he was any other position, he might have had a shot to get into that team and possibly be an MVP for that matter. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what a year, what a year. I mean, you go back through the chronicles of great seasons since our lifetimes as, as Celtics fans, this might be the best season we've seen for, for an individual player, uh, you know, since we've been Celtics fans, he's been unbelievable, you know, top of the league in scoring or one of the top scorers in the league, the game winning shots, the fourth quarters that he had unbelievable. This is that's going to go down as, as one of the great ones in Celtics history and well-deserved for him. Yeah, I mean, with with all with all this, you know, with the Celtics grabbing the number one pick, and obviously what we saw at the beginning of this series, you know, I, I just I had to bring I had to bring that up because it's been it's a it's an interesting topic. Not that I agree with it in terms of you know going forward with you know the you know with plans. There's, there's going to be like you said, this is going to be a big off season for uh, for the Celtics and for Danny Ainge and company. So you know you yeah. you, you do you you do want to consider all options here. And I know for me personally, I, I, I wouldn't want Isaiah to go. I would love for him to be a part of the future. The injury, I don't know how serious it is. Uh, it sounds pretty serious, but, you know, they're talking about he might have surgery that they won't know yet until later this week. He'll be reevaluated. If they want to extend the series, not because they, they hope that he comes back, but just extend the series for just the season that they've had and, 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 and kind of like honor Isaiah in some kind of way and just like you know he did it he did it for them so it's like let's do it for him let's do it for him type of thing that'd be great but at yeah. the beginning before the series started I had the Celtics losing in six but or like we've been saying before like if they, if if they lose in six games that's not too shabby of a season for for the for the Celtics who no one had being the number one seed let alone going all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals against the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers what do you think going forward how do you see this playing out? going to be tough. Uh, you have to figure that LeBron James is going to re-engage this series and actually give a shit. Um, so I, I would assume game five, you're going to or I'm sorry, game four, you're going to see the best version of this Cleveland Cavaliers team that you can. With that said, the momentum is now with Boston, firmly with Boston, and I think these players are finally starting to say, hey, 
We've beaten these guys in the past. We just beat them the other night. There's no reason we can't win a couple more games. There's no reason that we can't be very competitive in this series going forward. And I think they will. I think, uh, you know, game four, if I'm the Celtics, Brad Stevens has already shown that he can find a way to get these players open. He can find a way to get open shots for a lot of these different players in areas of the court that they want to get shots off of. So I think that's, you know, you're all set on that end of the court. Defensively, the only tweak I would make is, quite honestly, you have to have a second layer of defense when LeBron James and Kyrie Irving have the ball. You just have to. And we haven't really seen anyone behind that person who's defending or has the ball. Because if they ISO with LeBron James and they put Marcus Smart or James Crowder or, or Avery Bradley or anyone on him, they're going to have one person, Cleveland's going to have one person come over and set a screen, and they're going to try to attack the big. And if LeBron James gets two or three good, solid, strong steps towards that big man, he'll pass him every time. And it's no disrespect to the big guy. It's just he's that good when it gets to the rim. So you <laughs> have to have a secondary layer of defense that's been behind, which means Kelly Olynyk, Tyler Zeller, uh, whether it's Jonas Jerebko or any of these big guys, even if they have to go over and, and just foul him and not allow him to get the shot up, make him better from the foul line. I mean, we're talking about a guy who shot 67% from the line this year. But why not put him on the line a little bit more? Make him earn a few more of these instead of getting to the pass and getting the end one and getting all these uh, easy opportunities. Um, so that's one thing I think that they can do a lot better, especially with LeBron James. Uh, they really need to do it in game three, but I guarantee you game four, he's going to be going whole hall he's going to be going after the rim all game long so that's one of the big things the other thing is boston needs to be more assertive when the ball was up in the air and i think they've done a much better job about it this series than what we saw against washington but tristan thompson for as, as good a player as he is and i have a lot of respect for him as a player even though i think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder this this series i have no idea where it came from but you need to find a way to get a little bit more physical with him and not in the sense of like trying to start a fight get in front of him. Stop letting the dude get straight underneath yeah. the basket and get these mm. easy boards. But yeah. He's not a good enough offensive player to be scoring 20 points a night. Yeah. He's just not. He doesn't have a jump shot. He, he, I don't know how he shot as well as he did in the three on, at the line, but you're talking <laughs> about a 50% free throw shooter. Like, Why the hell is this guy having high teams and low 20s in points? There's no reason for it. And I mean, shout out to Dutra. He's 100% right on that. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. 100% right on that. It's the offensive. Yeah, getting the under offensive the basket boards. and just ripping down every board he wants to. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, the silver lining in that aspect of the offensive boards is they uh, they cancel each other out. They each team had eleven offensive rebounds in, in game three. But yeah. you're right, though. Thompson can't. I, I don't, you're right. I don't understand how Thompson's getting twenty points or near twenty points. You know, he's been a double double machine in this so far through the through the first three games. It's that's that's like a, it's easier said than done. But and, and for 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 game four. Amir Johnson, uh, ironically enough, uh, his shoulder—he had a you know a little little shoulder pain after uh, Kevin Love decided to try to yank it yank it out <laughs> at the first quarter. I mean, he didn't yank it out, yeah. but it, it looked like he tried to yank it out. Ironically, after you know Kelly Olynyk did it to him two years ago, but that's not a dirty play, right? No, not only when Kelly does it, it's a dirty play. No, 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 of course not. <laughs> so he he's he's been listed as day to day Amir Johnson. Uh, if he if it yeah. doesn't go, who do you start in that fifth spot? That's a, it's a good question. Um, it's tough to say. And I, in Brad Stevens, we trust. I'll start with that. I think whoever he puts out there is probably the right call. I personally, looking at the, the lineup, the way it's set up, I would say you either go with Tyler Zeller and do the 
same exact thing that you've done with um, with Amir Johnson, where you basically play in the first couple of minutes, mm-hmm. see how things are going, yeah. and, and use his length to try to deter some of those shots in the basket. Yeah. Or you gotta go with Jones, brother. There you go, baby. That's what I was waiting <laughs> for. That's the answer I was looking for. That's the answer I was looking for. Because you got another shooter out there. You got another. You yep. got another. Uh, another big that will 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 put whoever he's defending on in you know on the line because he's he's a gritty dude when it comes to defending like yep. he, he doesn't you know people don't praise him enough obviously because he doesn't play enough minutes some at, you know at times but you know when he's been called upon especially in the postseason like he 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 does he does what he does like and Jonas is always ready so yeah I, if I had to pick someone to 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 start in game four if if Amir's not ready to go. Jonas, baby, put and insert Mr. Jonas right in there. The Swedish, <laughs> Swedish, the Swedish assassin, put him in there. Yeah, I mean he's he's he plays tough and he seems to like the limelight. Of course, so why the heck not? Well, he's Zach Pelequin, Causeway Street blog writer. Find his articles up on the on our homepage, and I think we're talking about it earlier about the uh, decision that Danny Ainge is going to have to make. Whether it's this off season mm-hmm. or next off season, you know he just put up a piece on that. So look for that on CausewayStreetBlog.com. dot com. Pelly, where can they find you on the internet, Twitter? Yeah, Twitter is usually good to get me uh, at OTW Sports Radio. Uh, probably the only place actually. <laughs> well, he lo- he's, but, you're, uh, also, yeah. you're also live tweeting during the games, which is always good. So you know, I love that. I love that back and forth banter that he has with the Causeway Street Twitter as well. That's always been great. <laughs> You did predict. Always. You did say Celtics in six after Game Three. Got a lot of love off of that tweet, so that's always good. <laughs> <laughs> Had to retweet that real quick. <laughs> but oh, Zach, yeah. Zach, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll talk soon. Uh, you know, I think I think this might this might go a little further than a lot of people you know are giving the Celtics credit for. So let's see, let's see the fight, yeah. let's see the grit and ball Celtics that that we all love. Love it, man. Love it. Hopefully we can see this thing get to uh get to six, maybe seven. There you go. Come back to Boston and and anything goes when it, when that when that happens, right? Game seven, that's exactly. That's where it's at. All right, Zach, man. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks. Later, bro. Now it's time to put a bow on this episode of the Causeway Street Podcast, the way we do with every episode with In case you missed it. In case you missed it. You know, after the Celtics phenomenal game three win on Sunday night. ESPN's BPI has the Celtics' chances of winning Game 4 at 29%. Ooh, that's harsh. I mean, the Cavs, even though they haven't lost in quite a while in the postseason, usually after a loss, they come back pretty strong. But with this new attitude that I that, that the Celtics displayed in the second half of Game 3, who knows, right? Let's see what happens. In case you missed it, for Game 4, Amir Johnson is listed as day-to-day. It will be a game-time decision after Kevin Love injured Amir Johnson's shoulder in Game 3. And for the Cavaliers side, Deron Williams was not at Tuesday morning shoot-around. It's feeling under the weather, and it's probable for tonight's Game 4. In case you missed it, the Golden State Warriors have reached their third consecutive NBA Finals by sweeping the San Antonio Spurs in four games. After a 129 to 115 win in San Antonio on Monday night, puts the Warriors now at 12 and 0 this postseason as they await the winners of the Cavaliers and Celtics. This is only the third time in the uh, Greg Popovich era that his team has been swept by an opponent 
in the Western Conference Finals. Obviously, this will be Durant's second appearance in the NBA Finals, his first time since 2012. Speaking of the Warriors, Coach Steve Kerr's status is still up in the air if he'll coach in the Finals. So Mike Brown will continue his duties right now as the interim head coach of the Warriors as they uh, look to win their first NBA championship since 2015. In case you missed it, this week marks on May 21st, the 45th birthday of the greatest rapper of all time, the Notorious B.I.G. Rest in peace and shout out to, to the Bad Boy family. This, in case you missed it, short and sweet, is brought to you by the CLNS mobile app. Make sure you download to your Android or your Apple device for the best sports coverage on the internet, especially when it pertains to the city of Boston. You can listen to the Causeway Street Podcast on there if you haven't already. That's the CLNS mobile app. You can also follow us on social media, including Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and Twitter, all at Causeway Street. And that's it for... In case you missed it. And big shout out to the founder and beat writer for Causeway Street, Josue Pavone. It's his 29th birthday today, so shout out, little brother, to you. Hope you enjoy yourself. And who knows, maybe the Celtics will give you a birthday gift. Make sure you head over to CausewayStreetBlog.com for all your coverage of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. Zach has a piece up there about some potential options for uh, Danny H to consider this offseason when it comes to his uh, guard situation and the NBA draft. And, and, and who knows? Who knows how the rest of the series is going to go? But like I said at the top of the show, I believe it's going to be much more competitive. So let's hope for that because the Golden State Warriors are going to be hanging out and chilling, waiting for the outcome of this series. Thanks again to Zach Pelican for checking in. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at OTW Sports Radio. Subscribe to the Causeway Street Podcast on iTunes. You can rate us. Check us out on all podcast outlets as well. Until next time, my name is Joel Pavone. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.